0: Father we are here today in your house Lord we're not here for a social event Lord we're not here to see our friends Lord God we are here to be in your presence to be touched by your spirit to be blessed by you Lord so Lord God our prayer this morning is just that Lord that you would touch us Lord that you would bless us Lord that Lord that your presence would be felt Lord as you touch each and every heart here Lord that it would be glorified by you oh Father Lord, I pray, Lord, I lift my prayers up with each person at the altar, Lord God, as they are coming to you, Lord, Lord, with their own needs, their own concerns, Lord, Lord, their own requests, Lord God. We lift our voices with them, Father, that you, Lord, would have the answer on the way. Because, Lord, we know by your word that the answer is already coming, even before we ask. Oh, Father, we thank you. Lord God, I pray for those who don't know you today, Lord, those that are lost. Lord, those that are still walking in the darkness of Satan's lies, Lord God. I pray that, that today, Lord, that the light would come on in their life, Lord. That they would see You, Lord. A light on a hilltop showing them the way, Lord, to You. Father, I pray, Lord, that the lost today would be found. That eyes would be opened. That souls would be saved. Lord God, I pray for Your blessings on them. Lord, I pray for our missionaries in the field, Lord, that are, that are out there, Lord, that have given up all the comforts of home, Lord, to go and spread the gospel to people who don't know you. Oh, Lord, what an honor it is to share you with others. What a privilege it is to let your love and your grace flow through us. Lord, bless us here this morning. Lord, bless our time together that you would be honored and glorified in all that we do and say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning as we was getting that um, sign-up sheet together for the dinner next week, my first thing, they put it on there and it was just for Thanksgiving, and I said, well, aren't we going to do one for this month? To show how my calendar is, I thought we were still in October. I didn't realize Thanksgiving was so close. Um, I don't know. I was. Uh, my grandmother used to tell me that the older you get, the faster time goes. If that's the case, I'm much older than I am. <laughs> Sometimes it seems like the calendar ticks off as fast as the clock does. But you, it's such an honor and a privilege, though, when you live your life every day serving the Lord. You know, some of us, uh, you probably have seen the bumper sticker, and if you're into bumper sticker theology, uh, you probably have seen the one that says, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. <laughs> yeah, and it's a shame that for most people, that's their only motivation to go to work, is to pay their, their bill collectors. You know, you know we out, uh, slavery was outlawed a long time ago. But for people who are neck deep in debt, you're a slave. You're working not for yourself. You're working for everyone you owe money to. You know, that's a problem in the world today is that so many people are so deep in debt, especially credit card debt, that that you can work 60, 70 hours a week and barely have enough money to buy groceries. It's a shame that in our society today that we're raising a generation who believes that living on plastic is the way to go. <clears throat> and, you know, and with all of that, with people who are going so far in debt and also they can have everything today and not uh, save up and, and wait to get it when they can afford it and all, uh, there, a survey was done for job satisfaction in the United States. Only 43% of workers in the United States are happy with their job. That's pretty bad. And it's even worse in Japan where only 17% are happy with their job. Now, that doesn't give us a whole lot of confidence in work, does it? That means that over half of you in here aren't happy with what you do. Well, you know, in Paul's day, the Greeks even had a more defined definition of work. The Greeks believed that that uh, the gods hated man, and they created work to show their hatred to us. <laughs> Matter of fact, the the uh, poet Homer, he said that that the, the gods hated men, and the way they demonstrated their hatred was to invent work and punish men by making them work. And that that kind of philosophy has kind of crept in to Christianity you know some people believe that that work was, is all part of the punishment of sin you know and that's true the Bible does say that because of sin man shall shall work by the sweat of his brow to make his living but it also says in Genesis two fifteen. That the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And if you know your Genesis very well, you know that Genesis 2.15 is before sin entered the world. So it was God's plan. God even demonstrated that by giving us the 6 to 1 work to time off schedule that He did when He created the world. We were intended to work from the very beginning. Work is not a punishment, it's a privilege. And our scripture this morning, we're going to look at just that because this morning we're finishing our series that we've been going through in Thessalonians and we're in 2 Thessalonians and we're in chapter 3 and verse 6 is where we're starting. And what we're looking at this morning is just that, work. And in this case, Paul addresses work by describing the people that don't work. Because the title of that section in the NIV is Warning Against Idleness. Okay. See, work, you have to have the right view of work to appreciate work. It's like anything else. If you think it's a bad thing, it's a bad thing. You're not going to put your heart into it, are you? You're going to do it because I have to do it. Well, we're going to look at work in a view, a different view today from this scripture. And there's four things here this morning that I want to point out that Paul points out about work. And the first one is, work is a prescription from God. And you know what a prescription is, right? It's what makes us better. When we get a prescription for medicine, we take it and we get better. Normally we do. In verse 6... He writes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you brothers to keep away from every evil brother who is from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. And then in verses 11 and 12, he goes on to say, we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the uh, Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Okay? God has given us a command that we should work. And uh, we're not to go to work just to pay our bills, just to fill our stomachs, just because we have a boss that says we're supposed to work, we're supposed to work for the glory of God. Because you if you're a Christian and you have a testimony, your testimony carries weight if your actions reflect it. You cannot go and, and tell people how great God is and how much you love Him and not do a good job because that takes away from whatever you're doing. See, we have to show in our actions that our words have meaning. You know, one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's one of the few that I've actually watched numerous times, is The Outlaw, Josie Wales. Good movie. Good movie. The part where he rides into the Indian village, and he's on his horse sitting in front of the chief, and he's telling the chief that, hey, I've come here that we can either live together or die. And after he says his speech, the chief tells him, he says, the truth in your words are in in the guns on your hips. In other words, you're coming here showing that you are willing to die for what you're saying. He's putting actions behind his words. And that's what Paul is telling us in our work and our jobs. We have to put action behind our words. You know, the one thing I can't stand is someone who has to tell me all the time how good they are. If you have to tell me how good you are, you're not very good. Because if you're really that good, you don't have to say it. People already know it. And I've worked with people, and that's all they talk about is how good they are. What a good worker they are. How devoted they are. And I'm thinking, you know, you're one of those guys that sneak in right at the work day starts, and you're the first one out the door at night. You know, your actions and your words aren't going together very good. Right, the thing I saw on uh, Facebook here a week or so ago, the um, guy sitting there and he says, uh, uh, you worked a 40-hour week? Yeah, I remember my first part-time job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we used to consider 40 hours a full-time week. Uh-huh. Yeah. If you're working a 40-hour job, in, uh, you're, you're working part-time. Because <laughs> exactly. I don't know anyone that's, that's got a job that's, that's putting in less, 40 hours or less. Unless they are part-time. Yeah. I know we used to laugh in the military. The joke was working 12-hour days was just working half a day. 24 hours in a day, you only work in 12. It's a true statement. <laughs> Work is a prescription from God. And we are supposed to go out and work not because we have a boss, not because we have bills to pay, not because we have this habit of eating every day. We're to go out and work so we can honor God through our work. So that way when you open your mouth to tell people about Jesus, they'll listen because you're putting action behind your words. In Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 22, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward." It's the Lord Christ you are serving. Mm -hmm. See, if you do everything you do for the glory of God, and you do it to your absolute best, Mm -hmm. who does it hurt? Mm -hmm. Your boss is happy with you? When you say something to people, they listen to you? And God has this fantastic retirement plan that you get. That's the part I'm waiting for—is that retirement plan. <laughs> there was a preacher, uh, H. A. Ironside, and uh, he tells a story that when he was just a small boy, he worked uh, in a uh, for a cobbler uh, in Chicago, and he was um, uh, he went in every day, and his job, his job there was to take the soles of the shoes; they'd be cut out to the size, they'd be soaked in water, and then his job was to sit there with a piece of flat iron on his lap and a flathead hammer and pound that out until it was dry. And then it'd be put on the, on the shoe. And uh, this cobbler he worked for was a good Christian man. About on the counter at the front door when you came in was always an open Bible and a stack of tracts that were there. And not a single order went out that didn't have the Word of God with it. And every chance that, that he had, uh, he would, the man would, would very tactfully tell the people how desperately they needed to be born again and that they needed Jesus Christ in their life. And as, a, as a, a reward for that, if you want to use the word reward, God blessed him with people that would be coming back to the shop to give their hearts to the Lord right there in the cobbler shop. And, and the, the young uh, Ironside was very impressed with this. But a few blocks over was another cobbler. And that cobbler, would, uh, he didn't uh, uh, pound his shoe uh, out. He got his soap in water, and he'd put them right on the shoes still soaking wet. Well, the, the boy, since he didn't like doing that job, he went in and asked this other cobbler about, well, why do you, how come you don't pound your shoes out? Does it, does they last as long? Is it just as good as when you do? And uh, the other cobbler looked at him with a kind of a sneer and said, uh, the customer's come back all the sooner this way. So the boy thought, well, I'm going go to go tell my boss that maybe I can get out of this job. So he goes back and he tells his boss, he says, he says hey, uh, the other guy says you don't have to pound this shoe leather that, that uh, it works. It's just they'll come back quicker for new shoes. Well, immediately, the owner of that store opened the Bible up to the passage that reads, whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. He said, I expect one day when I'm standing at the judgment seat of Christ that every shoe that I have worked on is going to be piled there and I don't want my Lord to say, you didn't do a very good job. He says, I want to hear, welcome, good and faithful servant. So see, when you put it in perspective that the work that we do could very well be what we hear, good and faithful servant... And not that you did a poor job. When you put it in that perspective, then it's all the better that we give our our entire devotion to our work is to God's glory. Now, the second thing that work is, work is our provision. Okay, in verse 10 he says... For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. See, work is so that we can provide for our needs. And in providing for our needs, we also, one of those needs that we provide, that our testimony to Jesus Christ is enforced and strengthened by our work. In Proverbs 19.15, Solomon wrote, Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless man goes hungry. And then in Proverbs 28 19, he writes, He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Charles Coulson and Jack Eckerd of Eckerd Drugs Uh, wrote a book entitled, Why America Doesn't Work. And uh, they they talk about how the decline of the ethic is hurting your family in the future. We are a generation who is borrowing from the past and from the future when we should be earning our own way. And one of the things that that I'm looking at the problems that we have in the United States at looking at at some of the issues our country is facing today, I believe that one of the most underlying causes is idleness. Because when we don't have anything to do, we get in trouble. Remember David and Bathsheba? Remember the whole setup to that story? David was laying around the palace instead of doing his job. David should have been out leading the armies of Israel who was fighting a war. Instead, he decided to stay home. And since he was home with nothing to do, and since he wasn't doing God's work, he ended up doing Satan's work. See, idleness gets you in trouble. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.13... Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. See, when you don't have enough to do to keep you busy, you end up doing things that cause trouble. If you don't have enough going on in your life, and you're just sitting around doing nothing, the first thing you're going to end up doing is starting to, to spread rumors and to gossip. Stirring the pot. I have I used to know a, a lady, and that's what she called it. She said, I like to stir the pot to see what comes to the top. Well, what that, all that means is that you just want to cause trouble. <laughs> You can't stand it when everyone's getting along, so I gotta do something to stir things up. You know, back in the early uh, in the early 1800s, mm-hmm. people didn't have time to sit around and look at pornography all the time. People didn't have time to to cause social uprising. They were too tired from working. Today, pornography is one of the worst killers to our young people. Pornography is one of the worst things that has come, that has come along and because people aren't working... They end up in that hole. Mm-hmm. The social uprest that, that we are seeing in our nation today. The riots and the, and the destruction of cities and, and, and all that that's going on because people have nothing else to do. See, work is, is also our protection In verse 11, he says, We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. See, it's our protection from evil. Because as long as we're busy taking care of the things that God told us to take care of, we don't have time to get involved in the things that Satan wants us to do. See, at the church in uh, uh, Thessalonica, there were people... That they weren't working. And they filled their their time being busybodies and gossips. Causing problems in the church. But Paul gave them a simple cure for that problem. Go to work. When you're working, you don't have time to do all that other stuff. Work is a privilege. Privilege. Any of you think that your job is a privilege? That I'm so excited to have it. Work is a privilege. It's a privilege. In verse 13 it says, and as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. See, God has told us that we're supposed to work. And that we're supposed to work to give him honor and glory. That's a privilege. That's a privilege. In the first century, Christian slaves uh, had had uh, very little reason to really put their heart into their work. You know, if some of you think you got some dead-end jobs and you just hate to go to work, imagine if your life was a slave. You know, in the slaves in the Roman days, you got one day a year off, folks. Enjoy it. That's your day. It happened to be December twenty-fifth because that was a pagan holiday that celebrated uh, the whatever pagan thing it celebrated. That's why we celebrate Christmas on December 25th. Because if you're all Christians and you only get one day a year off and you're not going to go worship the pagan gods, you might as well worship your own god. That's why Christmas is in the middle of December instead of in the spring when it probably should be if we actually went by the calendar. But that's okay. Tradition is an important part of our worship. In in Titus 2, 9 and 10, Paul writes, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them. Not to talk back to them. Not to steal from them. But to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Now for those of you who are in a position of uh, supervision at work and you've got people working for you, if those people, if some of them come to you and they're the ones that that you've always got to check up on their work and you've always got to double check everything they do because you know they're not going to do it right to start with, when they come to you, how much credibility do you give whatever they say to you? I can tell you right now, you don't give them much. But if you have uh, employees working for you that go out of their way, go above and beyond their job description and, and do things and you know everything they do is always done to perfection and you don't have to worry about it and anything they say you can take as gospel, when that person comes to you, you tend to listen. See, when we go out and we work to God's glory and honor, And then when we tell someone about Jesus Christ, maybe you get a chance to witness to your boss or to a co-worker. Credibility comes if you've got the latter in that job description I talked about instead of the former. Mm -hmm. We serve God in our everyday task. Martin Luther understood this when he wrote, The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. See, too often in today's world, what we do is we tend to take... uh, we try to make it more easy. If we were shoemakers in today's world, we'd put little crosses on the shoes, thinking we're really doing our thing for Jesus. Even though there would be cheap shoes that don't last. You see, as much as that cross means to us, our freedom from sin to the world is just a cross. Just like I like, you know, they've quit doing it now. I think they've outlawed it at football games. But used to, you saw people would have three sixteen written on the little things here, or or something. You see signs, John three sixteen. Well, you know, for people who don't know scripture, doesn't mean a thing to them. You and I might know it. Oh, I know that verse, but that person that's never been to church in their life. What is, it? What is John three sixteen? See, there's a way to serve God that is efficient and effective, and there's a way that you serve God that doesn't do anything. It's more important that we do everything. I don't care if you're sweeping floors, washing dishes, taking out the trash. Do it to the glory of God. Don't worry about, about what anyone else thinks about you. Worry about what God thinks about you. When I first got out of the Air Force and went to work uh, in Albuquerque, I had a, a work ethic of a 12 hour day it was a normal day. 16 hours was not uncommon. And I hadn't been there more than a month when I had people come to me and they said, Rick, you got to quit working so much. I said, Why? There's so much to do. It's a... And, uh, and they said, they said, well, because the rest of us are looking bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't see a problem with it, you know. If you're looking bad because you're, you're taking off early and not doing your job right, maybe you should put a little more effort into it. But I've had, I've had that happen to me. And, and that's just, uh, it amazes me that people who are doing substandard work want you to come down to their level instead of them coming up to God's level. Because it's not my level. It's His level. And I try my best to work to His level of expectation. I don't achieve it very often, but I try. And I'll never give up trying. And you have to look at it this way. You doing everything you do And I don't care if you're a housewife or or a professional. You doing everything you do to the glory of God is really a small thing to do considering that Jesus went to the cross for you. He did the work for you so that you and I could have salvation without having to work for it. So it's a privilege that we get to do work to His glory and His honor. Ecclesiastes 5, 18-20 says, Even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. Now, if you're familiar with Ecclesiastes, you know Solomon was a little bit... He may have got wisdom as a gift from God, but his wisdom really did drive him to the point of insanity. And, And so he's right. He says, Even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat drink and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that no time, they take no time to brood over the past. How many people do you know that when they talk about their past, all they talk about is the bad things that happen? Don't you have to ask them sometimes, didn't anything good ever happen to you? See, when you get people focused on the good, it's amazing how quick the bad just disappears. I was having a conversation with a young woman the other day. And she was going on and on. And this young woman was in her mid-30s. And she's going on and on about, about things that happened when she was a kid. And, and uh, little things. And, and, uh, and my, my thoughts are, you know, that was you know, 20, 25 years ago in your life. Don't you think it's time to let it go? Yeah. You know, don't you think it's time to let go that, that maybe you got in trouble because of something your sibling did? Who, who in here hasn't gotten in trouble for something they didn't do? You know? Do we let it drag our lives down and brood on it? No. We focus on the good things that's happened in life. When I think of my military career, I only think of the good things that happened. Because if I thought just about all the bad things that happened, I'd probably be in a padded room somewhere. And most of us, it's the same farce. If you think about your past and you forgot every good thing that ever happened in your life and you only looked at every bad thing that ever happened, we'd all be candidates for the nut ward. Yeah, that's, that's not a doctoral term or I answered. <laughs> it, works. it works. We need to focus on the good things that happens. The good things that work, not just the bad things. All of us have bad days at work. But we always have good days too. All of us have bad days in our family life. We have good days too. We need to focus on the good because as long as we're focusing on the good, we don't have time to brood over the bad. In 1981, there was a, a Christian speaker, uh, uh, women's speaker, Christian women speaker, and uh, she went to a luncheon uh, uh, one time, and she went in uh, Oklahoma City. And as they all sat down to eat, she noticed on her salad plate there were two little radishes that had been cut to look like roses. And they were beautiful. And and she uh, looked at them, and she was thinking, how much work went into this, and and how and how. Uh, that someone actually took the time to do this, and at first she thought it was just at the head table and all. And she asked the lady next to her. She says, "She says I really like these radishes," and of course the lady next to her looked at her kind of funny, like, well, "Okay, <laughs> they're radishes." And she said, "She said who did this work and all and all?" And she said, "Well, there's a the lady in the back. Her name's Marietta and." She does the radishes, and she loves doing this, and she says, well, look, she did all these for our table, and the lady says, no. She says, look around, and every place setting in the banquet room had these little rose radishes on their, uh, their salad plate, and, and she got to the thing, and she, there had to be over 800 radishes cut, and they were all cut in these beautiful roses, and so she says, I want to meet Marietta. So they took her back in the kitchen and she met Marietta. And when she met her, she was just a this little old woman there just plain, nothing special, you know, wouldn't stand out in a crowd. And, and she just told her, she says, I love your radishes. And that's all she said. She said, I couldn't think of anything else. I went back in. We ate our meal. She said, I got up and I, I did my, my talk and, and everything and she said when I was leaving, it was raining outside, and as I was going to my, to my car, I saw this, this lady standing by the car with a this large polka dot umbrella that one sided collapsed, but said she's just standing there just smiling and as happy as if it'd been a sunny day in a garden somewhere. And said when she got there, it was Marietta. And Marietta told her, she says, she says, I heard you speak. It was good. I liked it. She says, as she was getting in her car, Marietta bent down to the window and she says, you keep telling people about Jesus and I'll keep cutting those radishes. See, Marietta took cutting those radishes as her duty to God. And she put her best effort in it to make perfect little roses. You see, sometimes God calls us to do something besides ministry that is ministry. He may call us into, uh, uh, he may call us into being uh, a cook. But your cooking is a service to God just as much as someone preaching. See, like Solomon said, we have to accept our lot in life. That means accept where God's put you. Too many people spend their whole life thinking I should be something else. I should be doing something else. Be happy where God puts you and do your best for Him in that position. It doesn't matter what you're doing because if you do, you're glorifying God. And if you're glorifying God, then God will glorify you. Work is a prescription from God. It's for our good health. It's for our well-being. Work is, is a way of provision for our needs because it's through work that we can have the things that we need in life. Now, a lot of times people get confused on wants and needs. God provides for our needs. Most of our wants is what Satan's poking us with. Our work is our protection from evil. Because as long as we're working doing God's work, we don't have time to do Satan's work. And work is a privilege. It's a way to show our faith. Because your walk speaks so much louder than your talk. So I asked you this morning... Regardless of what you do, I don't care if you're retired or if you're working 80 hours a week. Do you do it all to the glory of God? Do you do your best for Him? You don't want to be standing there before the judgment seat and all the things that you did for God's laying there. And He says, man, you didn't do a very good job. (laughs) Cut a lot of corners. We don't want those words. We want welcome, good, and faithful service. God did his best for you. He sent his very best for you. He did his very best for you. Look at all the beauty of nature, all the beauty of the sky and the stars. God put all that there for you. He didn't need it to look at. He put it for you. He sent His Son for you. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a prophet. He sent His Son to die for you. God did His best for you. Isn't it only right that we do our best for Him? It's all stated. Father, this morning I pray that, Lord, that these words have landed in fertile soil. Lord God, I pray that we go out from here. And Lord, everything that we do, regardless of how small or how large, Lord, that it's done to your glory. Lord, that your words would give us strength. Oh, Father, we thank you so much that you gave your very best for us. Lord, help us to give our very best for you.